Thanks, Ravi. And uh, good morning, COGS. How's everyone doing at home? You didn't ask, but I'm fine, thank you. I've been spending my time in a couple of fantasy worlds by means of Netflix. Um, for a while, who doesn't know she has powers? Right, that's Grisha first. For those of you who have not seen uh, Shadow and Bone, she can summon light and potentially save the world from darkness and war. Then I journeyed to the other world where I met teenage fairies who were learning how to use their magic in magic school. And the funny thing is, Harry Potter is fiction in their world. You can't see, but the worship team is giggling at me down there. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Incidentally, both the magic of Grishaverse and of the other world are based on the natural elements. Fire, water, light, etc. This is not surprising, since humankind have long feared and tried to control uh, these elements. Naturally, we'll fantasize about having mastery over them, and also, quite naturally, think of using them to kill each other. The two worlds have in common the power of mind-reading. Is this a reflection of our fear of what other people think of us? Unfortunately, the mind fairies of Grishaverse and Otherworld are not able to read your mind word for word, as it were. They can only feel and manipulate your emotions. Well, I figured it would be quite hard if somebody keeps saying the lines of everybody else, so it's neater to keep it at the emotional level. Enough geeking out uh, over fantasy worlds and make-believe powers. What I'm going to tell you next, by contrast, is real. Jesus is a mind-reader. This is a fact which is testified to in more than one place in the Bible. Our passage today from the Gospel of John records an actual account of Jesus reading minds. Before we go on, let me give you an outline of today's sermon. I'm going to tell you that we need to enter the kingdom of God, that the kingdom is open to us by the grace of God, and we enter by believing in the word and work of Jesus Christ. Our gospel writer sets the stage for mind reading at the end of chapter 2. Now, when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about men, for he himself knew what was in men. John, the beloved disciple, tells us that Jesus knows everybody. This was not a general idea of how humans think and behave by virtue of him sharing our humanity. Jesus actually knows what people are thinking and feeling at any moment in time. This is what we imagine mind fairies can do, but in Jesus, it is genuine power. He has real ability by virtue of his divinity. After setting the stage, John begins his unique account about the time when Jesus read the mind of a Pharisee named Nicodemus. Nicodemus came by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Notice here that Jesus answered him. 
not said to him, but answered him, as in a reply to a question. But where is the question? It was still in Nicodemus's head, perhaps, maybe on the tip of his tongue. But Jesus has already read his mind. What is the question? What did Nicodemus come to ask in the cold night of early spring? And what did Jesus read off his mind so that Nicodemus can go home quickly before it gets any colder? If we work backwards from the answer, the question is most likely, how do I enter the kingdom of God? If you have a private audience with Jesus tonight, what would you ask him? When is the pandemic going to end? How is the pandemic going to end? Will I survive this pandemic? These are perfectly normal questions to ask him today, not only because Singapore is in phase two heightened alert, but I believe for many of us, the coronavirus is getting too close for comfort. Last year, during Circuit Breaker, most of us were just hearing of infection numbers and figures in the news. Today, there are people with names, people we know. I got swapped last week because I was at a place visited by a COVID-19 case. The Roses Committee received news that our partners in Mongolia are down with the virus. Some have recovered, others are still fighting. My former hostelmate from Nagaland was looking after her father and brother who were both hospitalised for COVID-19. Her father is well. Her brother died last Sunday. Lord Jesus, will I survive this pandemic? Will my family and friends survive this pandemic? If you have a private audience with Jesus tonight, is this what you will ask him? Or perhaps you have more pressing issues on hand. What jobs should I apply for in this economic climate? Do I still pursue my dreams? Is this the person I should marry? Should I just stay single? Should I have more children? Will I ever have children? Do I have enough money for my retirement? Will it be sufficient until I die? These are important questions in life, and we want answers to calm our anxieties, cope with our pain, and know what to do with our lives. What if I tell you that you can only ask Jesus one question this evening? Because it's going to be a scorching night and there are many people queuing to meet him. What would it be? All our questions are important. Which one should we prioritize? What do we ask him? Nicodemus had one opportunity one night to ask one question to the one who is all-knowing. And he asked, how can I enter the kingdom of God? This question can be asked in many different ways. How do I get out of this frightening world full of disease and danger? How can I escape this miserable life of heartbreaks and disappointments? What do I need to do to escape the wrath of God? If you ask me, I think Nicodemus asked God the question of utmost importance. It should be our first priority, in fact, because of all human questions, this alone has eternal value. 
I mean, what is the point of surviving the pandemic, building a career, getting married, having children, and saving enough for retirement when, in the end, you do not know the way to the kingdom of God? Nicodemus understands this. As a Pharisee, a leader of the Jews, and a teacher of Israel, Nicodemus was a self-made man, respectable, powerful, and knowledgeable. Yet, in spite of his reputation and privileges, he seeks the kingdom in the other world, because he knows that this world is fading away. Especially during this season of Passover that he was in, he is reminded that nothing in this life is certain. Just look at the history of Israel. With the favor of Pharaoh, Israel settled into Egypt, but they ended up in slavery. They escaped to the Promised Land and became a glorious kingdom, but they soon fell into exile, which is followed by foreign oppression to this day. Good or bad, nothing in this world continues forever. Only the heavenly kingdom offers eternal glory and everlasting security. Therefore, Nicodemus seeks after no other answer but the way to paradise. Reflecting on ourselves, whatever questions we may have had pale in comparison to this. All of our troubles strike us as temporary, vain, and unnecessary when we realize we should be more concerned about our salvation out of this world than getting out of suffering. We should be more worried about our deliverance into the eternal kingdom than our prosperity here. Which is why today. I urge you to set aside all other fears and troubles, and focus on the question of utmost priority: How do I enter the kingdom of God? And when we learn to ask this question, we are already comforted by the fact that there is a kingdom, a perfect place with a community of saints waiting for us to come home. We've already heard the answer to the question, but since Jesus repeated it three times to Nicodemus, likewise we must do so. In verse three, Jesus answered him, "Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God." In verse five, Jesus answered, "Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom." And again in verse seven, "Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again." Clearly, rebirth, being born a second time, is the only way a human being can enter the kingdom. This is not accomplished by means of a woman, because that which is born of flesh is flesh. Humans can only give birth to children of human kind. Only God can give birth to children of God kind. That is, that which is born of the spirit is spirit, and God gives birth to His children by means of water and spirit. We shall interpret these methods of rebirth as water baptism and the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. The key point to note here is that none of these methods may be performed by the person who is being reborn. Do you realize that baptism has to be born, has to be performed on you? You cannot take water and baptize yourself. That's called a shower. It doesn't count. Yet even the priest who baptizes you accomplishes nothing. Unless God grants the forgiveness, and who can tell God what to do, or who can command the Holy Spirit to do His transforming work? Rebirth then 
happens according to the freedom and good pleasure of God Almighty. Jesus adds a metaphor in verse 8 to emphasize the zero contribution of humans to rebirth. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, the presence of wind is audible to us. We can hear it. However, wind is not within our control. The source of wind is mysterious and its direction is hidden from us. Jesus says that everyone born of the Spirit is like the wind. Now, he's not saying that the Spirit is like the wind, although elsewhere in the Bible that is the metaphor often used. Uh, and if I may sidetrack a bit, I think Christians are rightly called windborns, like some magical human race in a fantasy novel. Oh, we're offline. Yeah, there we go. Windborn. Except that we are real. I think it's a real cool name for a CG. Uh, if you're going to form a care group, yeah, just putting it out there for your option. Anyway, back to what I was saying. Jesus is using wind as a metaphor for those who are born by means of the Spirit. Like the wind, the rebirth of Christians is not within human control. It is not man-made. It is not self-made. We cannot choose to be reborn. It is the mysterious choice of God. We cannot begin the process. We cannot accelerate it. We cannot complete it. It is the unseen and hidden work of God. Nevertheless, just as the wind is audible, the children of God are visible when they live in response to God in holiness. The question was, how do I enter the kingdom of God? And the answer is, humans cannot choose or give birth or baptize or sanctify or pray to help ourselves or any other people enter the kingdom. The kingdom is open to us because God chose to show us grace. Indeed, God has chosen everyone for God so loved the world. We can enter the kingdom because God graciously forgives us in baptism and gives us new life in his Holy Spirit. Nicodemus was astonished by this teaching. Of course, Jesus had already anticipated his reaction in verse 7. Do not marvel that I said to you. More mind reading. Anyway, Nicodemus was astonished because this teaching is against everything he has ever known. He is a Pharisee. Pharisees are religious men who devoted their lives to the strict observance of the law and the traditions of the elders. He believes that only by striving for holiness can Israel remain in covenant with God and be saved into the kingdom of God. For this reason, Nicodemus pays careful attention to what he does on a daily basis to keep himself pure. For example, he ensures that his fruit, vegetables and other foods are kept dry from dew, water, wine, oil, blood, milk and honey. The reason is, while solid foods do not become unclean when they come into contact with something unclean, they become unclean if they are already wet by one of the seven liquids mentioned earlier. Sounds complex, e even ridiculous. But this is the kind of life that he lives for the sake of Israel. Moreover, he earns a living by teaching other people to live in this way. He does this 
with the good intention of building a true community of Israel. He believes that Israel's purity and holiness is required to win God's favor and to bring about the coming of the Messiah. However, however, this Jesus is telling him that kingdom entry does not require his effort. It doesn't even is not even within his control. The kingdom is open to everyone by the grace of God. Therefore, he says, how can these things be? You know, there are modern Pharisees in the church today, people who believe that they must earn salvation. Christian bloggers have listed things that modern Pharisees do to help us avoid becoming one. I was tempted to collate a list to present here today, but then I realized if I do that, then I'm no better than a Pharisee, correct not? Because focusing on what to do and what not to do is the practice of Pharisees. So if I tell you the do's and don'ts of a Christian, that makes me a modern Pharisee. But since we are Christians, let's not go there. By grace, through faith in Christ, we shall enter the kingdom of God. Therefore, let us turn away from what we think we should be doing and focus on Jesus, on his word and his work. When Nicodemus said, how can these things be? He must be thinking, number one, that this teaching isn't from God. He is lying. Or number two, how can the wrath of holy God against sinful men be satisfied if we do nothing? Jesus reads his mind again and responds to the first doubt by affirming that his teaching is true. The grace of God is written on the pages of Hebrew scriptures, which Nicodemus should know as a teacher of Israel. However, Jesus also knows that Nicodemus is not alone. He has been taught by the Pharisees and scribes before him. Indeed, generations of Jews have misunderstood the word of God and rejected the true and faithful teachings of the prophets. Therefore, Jesus goes on to say in verse 11, Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Notice that Jesus switched from the singular pronoun I to the plural pronoun we. He does this deliberately to identify himself with the prophets and the Hebrew scriptures. In this way, Jesus was proving to Nicodemus and all the Pharisees, because the you here is plural, he was telling all of them that whatever he teaches is the same as what the prophets know and what the scriptures bear witness to. That is the word of God. And now since the law states that a case is proven by two or three witnesses, Nicodemus is called to believe in the word of Jesus because the prophets and the scripture, two witnesses, testify that what Jesus says is true. In other words, rebirth by water and spirit can be if we believe in the word of Jesus. Jesus responds to the second doubt by explaining that he is the way to reconciliation with God. Verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Here, Jesus says that he is the Son of Man, whom the prophet Daniel prophesied will ascend into heaven into the throne of God. Only Jesus, the Son of Man, 
knows the way to the heavenly kingdom because he alone came from heaven and he alone knows the way back. And he was in heaven because he is the word who was with God and who was God himself. If you remember in the beginning, Nicodemus called Jesus a teacher come from God and God is with him. But in fact, Jesus is God with us. And this word became flesh and dwelt among us to reveal to us the way to the kingdom. Indeed, he came to tell us that there is a resurrection and there is a kingdom. Since no human being can reach heaven on their own, God in Jesus descended from heaven to show us the way. Led by him, sinful humans can enter into the presence of God and not perish because Jesus does the work of reconciling us to the Father. And his work is this. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. The work of Jesus is to become like the fiery serpent. His work is to become sin for us and to be crucified on the cross so that the wrath of God over sin may be satisfied. To Nicodemus, this was prophecy. To us, it is history. Jesus has already completed this work. All that is left for us is to believe in Jesus, and that's all. God will do the work of rebirth by water and spirit if we simply believe in the work that Jesus has done for us. At the end of the night, all things been said, the conclusion is this. We need to enter the kingdom of God, which is open to us by the grace of God. Our rebirth and entry are possible if we believe in Jesus, his word and his work. We don't hear a decision from Nicodemus that night. It doesn't matter. What matters is our decision. Today, the word of God tells us that Jesus can read our minds. He is aware that the pandemic and all the restrictions are draining us of life. He knows that with or without the pandemic, we're struggling for work, scrambling at home, and juggling relationships. He's not oblivious to the various ways that we've been trying to cope with our fear, boredom, angst, and depression. Some of us retreat into fantasy land. Others indulge in worldly pleasures. Maybe others take it out on other people. Jesus reads our minds, but we have nothing to fear because he sympathizes with us. Therefore, he reminds us that he has prepared a place for us to escape into forever. He calls us to believe and to continue believing so that he can bring us there and we may enter. Therefore, let us pray for God to increase our faith in Jesus and allow the hope of entering the kingdom. Lift our souls from all below as we rise with Christ to our Father above, to his loving presence and peace. Amen.
allow the word of God to sink in. Father, we ask that you, the God who knows our hearts, reads our minds, will continue to do a deep work in us. Turn our hearts towards you, Lord. Help us, Father, to enter into your kingdom fully. Not to straddle the two kingdoms, but really turn our lives over to you as Master and King. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.